We are truly blessed to come together tonight, as our brother David has referenced and led us in prayer, to praise our God and to join with the angels in praise of God. You may have noticed in that last song that we just uh, communicated with one another that one of the things that we talked about were that angels praise our God. And over the last year and a half or so, there have been a couple of teasers where I have referenced angels, or we've talked about angels in comparison to Jesus, or the angel of the Lord. And I've said that I've got some sermons maybe that I would like to do at some point on the subject of those angels. And every time I've said that, I've had this complaint where someone would say, that's unfair that you talk about that, but then you don't preach about that. Well, so what I decided to do, as you may recall, late in 2021, I promised that at some point in 2022, I would preach on the subject of angels and how we can understand them better. And I believe this is an important study because this is not necessarily a neglected area of study, but it is an area of some mystery, And because of the mystery and uncertainty about these messengers of God, and we'll talk more about what that means in just a moment, that we have the responsibility of understanding these individuals, these beings, whoever they may be or they may not be, in order to better understand our God. And I hope that at the conclusion of this series, Lord willing, Every second Sunday that I preach of the month, so if you can keep track of all that, through August, we will be exploring the subject of angels. As always, if you want access to my notes or uh, PowerPoint, whatever the case may be, encourage you to ask me for those, and we'll be glad to give those to you. Appreciate the scripture reading, which also made reference to, depending on the version from which you are reading, either a reference to messengers of God who dwell in heaven, or in the New King James Version, and in the King James Version, it uses the term angels as messengers of God. And so I want us to talk tonight about the subject of angels, and just to give you an idea of where we're going to go in the course of our eight-month journey through the latter part of August, Tonight we're going to be talking about angels by way of introduction and what the Bible has to say on the subject of angels. But I want to talk particularly next month about the roles that angels play. I want to eventually talk about the specific messages because one of the key points that we're making is that angels are divine messengers of God who were responsible for delivering big messages in the past. We'll talk about Jesus Christ, and is he just an angel, or is he superior to the angels? You already know the answer to that, but we'll explore that a little bit deeper and explain why that's so important a little bit later this year. And then one of the questions that may come up in conversations with people in the world is, where did Satan come from? Is he an angel? Does he have angels? Is he a fallen angel? We'll explore that. And then one of my favorite sermons is on the angel of the Lord, a reference that appears numerous times in Scripture and doing our very best to identify who or what that was or is. We'll talk for a short period of time, Lord willing, in uh, July about guardian angels and whether or not they exist. 
and we will talk about why angels matter both now and in the future and why this whole subject is important. It could be that the final sermon in the series would be one to start with and then end with. You can also appreciate that there's a lot about angels in the Bible that maybe we've never explored before, and that's why we're taking a good four to five hours over the course of the next eight months to delve into the subject. But I want to talk tonight about the Bible and angels, and I want to ask a series of four questions, but by way of introduction, I think it's important to note the frequency with which we see angels reference. Angels are mentioned in some form in 34 books of the Bible. And if you are good mathematically, that's just a little bit over 50% because there are 66 separate entries in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 34 different books where it is referenced. It's not more, it's not 34 times because angels are actually mentioned some 300 times throughout the Bible. Compare that to the word Christian or Christians, and we know that that's used only three times. I'm not suggesting that we should preach on the subject of angels a hundred times more often than we do about New Testament Christianity. I am suggesting, though, that the fact that the Bible references them so frequently tells me that there's something important about them and something important about their role and what they have done and or what they will do in the future. When we think about this subject, when we think about the Holy Spirit, when we think about some of the more challenging aspects of Bible study, the mystery associated with angels should not deter our study of them or about them. And I say that simply because sometimes when we get to the hard subject in the Bible, and I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy or girl, and that is I'll say, well, I don't want to study that too much because I'm too confused on what the Scripture is saying. And I appreciate late in 2021 our brother David taking us through the book of Revelation. And when you read through it and just read through it and let it speak for itself, it, it, it makes perfect sense what it is saying. And I appreciate his efforts in tackling that particular subject as well. But there are two things that I think we should do with mysterious topics in the Bible when it comes to things like angels, for example. One is that we need to admit that there are some things that we will never know. And so if you go back to the subtitle of the, of the series, Angels, Understanding Them Better, that's different than understanding them completely. Because I'm not here to completely tell you everything that I know about angels or that the Bible speaks about angels because that would take more than four and a half or five hours. And it's beyond the scope of my uh, brain capacity and with all due respect to yours as well because Deuteronomy 29 is a, is a memorizable text where it says that the secret things belong to God. There are certain things that he's kept close to the vest that he has not revealed to us for whatever reason or reasons. But we need to secondly take it seriously, whereby when you read, you may understand, is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3 and verse 4. That, by the way, is also a a memorizable verse. When you read, you understand. God wants us to understand things that he talks about. And I think, and I hope that you will see with me, and and if you struggle with it tonight, just bear with me for at least three or four or five months, and eventually it'll hopefully click as to why the study of angels are so important, and I appreciate your patience in that. So there are four questions that I want to address tonight, and the first of those is simply this. What are angels? Or maybe another way of looking at that is who are angels? 
By definition, angels are, as we read in Psalm 104, as we sing about tonight in that song, by definition, angels are messengers. In fact, depending on the version of the Bible that you are reading, whether it be the New American Standard or the ESV or the NKJV or whatever case may be, sometimes rather than the word angel, you'll see the word messenger. And that's what angels are. In fact, if you look at the words used in Hebrew and Greek, the Hebrew word for angel, the root verb of that is to dispatch. And so if you understand what a dispatcher is, it's someone who is telling you, go here, do this, get this message delivered, and that's what an angel is doing. Basically, an angel is part of God's line hall, wherein God is saying, I want this message delivered to this king or to these individuals or to this individual. And he says, now go deliver it. And God, as we will stress tonight and throughout the course of the next few months, can deliver a message any way he chooses. But sometimes... In fact, many times, he chooses to deliver those messages by way of angels. The angel says, I've got a message for you. I need you to listen to what I am about to say. Well, and the other thing that is interesting is if you look at the Greek word, the root verb is to go. And so to go or to dispatch is what an angel is all about and what an angel's role is. Angels can take on many forms. And they don't necessarily look like man-made pictures. And we have all kinds of images. I'll have a few here in just a moment of what angels might look like. Sometimes they're cuddly little children with wings on them. Sometimes they're a little more frightening looking, especially if you're talking about the devil and his angels, which is a direct phrase that we'll talk about a little bit later. But let me suggest to you three things uh, that we do know from uh, uh, what the Bible has to say. Number one is angels sometimes appear to look like human beings. In the past, they have. We know that with absolute certainty. And there are a number of passages that we could go to to illustrate that. But the two that come to mind to me are in Genesis and then in the book of Judges. And so just very briefly to go back to Genesis chapter 18. We study this in greater detail uh, a few, uh, about a year and a half ago in our study of Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1, just notice maybe something that you haven't picked up before. It says, The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, verse 2, it says, Three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Then fast forward to chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now I'm, I'm convinced that the bowing that Lot is engaging in here is not a bowing in terms of worship, but rather a custom of ancient cultures, and in some cultures today, where you bow to someone out of respect, showing hospitality. And one of the things we talked about in our Old Testament studies over the last year and a half is that hospitality was key in these ancient cultures. And so sometimes the word angels are used, sometimes the word men are used, but to Lot or to Abraham or to others, the appearance of the angels is not, wow, they look different, they must be angels, but rather here's a human being 
Unbeknownst to them, they were angelic in nature. The same is true in Judges chapter 13, which we will not take the time to go back and read because we just read it about six weeks ago in our study of the book of Judges. But you recall here that Judges 13 is the account where Samson is being uh, predicted, where it is being told to Manoah and his wife about a son that is going to be born to them, who of course becomes the famous Samson who takes on uh, a good 20% of the text in the book of Judges. Sometimes angels appear as parts, secondly, as parts of nature. They take on a naturistic or natural aspect. And I'm thinking about here Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2, where you find that fire that was in the bush, or the bush that was on fire, but yet it was not consumed by the fire. And so this uh, burning bush that then from which Moses received instruction, you recall there in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, references made to an angel that came from God. More on that angel a little bit later in the year. And then thirdly, Angels sometimes appear in visions or dreams, and that's what has happened on at least a couple of occasions. One of those is in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 20. I want to read those four or five verses here very quickly. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 says, while he thought about these things, and the he here and the things here is the, the pregnancy of Mary... Uh, wherein there was no uh, natural pregnancy, but rather it was of the Spirit, verse 18. And the person here is Joseph. It says that while Joseph was thinking about all those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what is conceived, or that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 This was clearly a dream because, verse 24 says, Joseph, who was aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And of course, this is the famous text that we are familiar with about the birth of Jesus or about the prophecies being revealed about the the birth of Jesus coming true. In Acts chapter 10, you may recall there is another dream or vision that transpires. And in Acts chapter 10, in about verse 3, it says, About the ninth hour of the day, Peter saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in. I'm sorry, Cornelius here in relation to Peter, saying, uh, coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, verse 4, he was afraid, and he says, what is it, Lord? And so he recognized, and in my Bible, the Lord there is not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because it's not the word Jehovah, but it's the more generic form of the word Lord, again, that we might use culturally, not in the way that we talked about this morning when we talked about Jesus is the Lord, he is our master, and we appreciate so much David's efforts this morning. So those are just some things about what angels are or who they are. They sometimes appear in nature. They sometimes appear as human beings. Sometimes they appear in visions or in dreams. But secondly, where do angels come from? 
And let me suggest to you perhaps here, even though we are not at the end of the sermon uh, where we save sometimes the more important, pivotal points, this is a pivotal point. And that is we need to recognize that angels are created. They are created beings. More on that in just a moment. Turn, if you would, over to Psalm 148. There's a number of psalms that talk about angels, but turn, if you would, over to Psalm 148. And I want to read just the first five verses here very quickly here of this rather short psalm. It says in Psalm 148, and you may say, well, that sounds like it would be a good song. And in fact, we've put it to music today in modern English. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them, now verse 5 is key, let them, who's the them? It would be the heavens, it would be the waters, it would be the, the host, it would be the sun, the moon, the stars, and it would include the angels. For let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Well, who, who created the heavens and the earth? God. Who created the stars? Who created the sun? Who created the moon? Who created the angels? It would be God. Thus, we have to conclude, and this is really beyond the scope of the time that we have together, this very important, what I've called pivotal point, and that is angels are not eternal like God, but rather they are immortal like us. That is a very important point, at least I believe, to acknowledge that angels are not eternal. Now, is God eternal? Absolutely. Is the Son of God eternal? Absolutely. Is the Holy Spirit eternal? Absolutely. We agree on that. That's one of those kind of key principles of New Testament Christianity, or really biblical knowledge 101. But if you, if you were to suggest that angels are also eternal, it puts them on a level wherein they are now equal to God, and it seems to violate the very principle of Psalm 148 where it says that they were created in similar fashion to us. Now, the Bible does not record the specifics of how or when angels were created. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and some of you have started daily Bible readings to, as a resolution for 2022, which is a good thing. And so you may have read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 over the last week or so. You read that on day one, God did this, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And he created different beings and different creatures on different days. At no place in Genesis chapter 1 does it suggest that, or does it say that God created angels on day X. However, let me share with you two passages that I think are a little bit helpful, and then we'll come to a general conclusion. And that is, first of all, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. And this is a passage that kind of had escaped me until I had uh, really delved into this study. But in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, "...in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them." And rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So what happened? In six days, he created not just some of creation, not just some of the stars, 
not just some of the sun or the moon or whatever. He created them all in that six-day period. And, and we as people of faith believe that that really happened. We believe that God in those six days really did those things. Well, jump over to the long book of Job uh, later in the Old Testament in chapter 38 near the end of the lengthy book. And I want to read verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Where were you? Remember, this is where God is putting Job up against a wall. He said, I've got some questions for you. So look, if you would, at Job 38, beginning in verse 4. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then verse 7 When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, question mark, at the end of verse 7. It is understood, and I would not be dogmatic about this particular point. There are a number of things that I'm not going to be dogmatic about over the course of the next eight months because of Deuteronomy 29, 29. But it seems to suggest here that in verse 7, he's talking about the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy, that it could have reference to individuals who were created or to angels that were created. So it then seems logical to me, based on what we read here and in Exodus chapter 20, as well as in Psalm 148, that angels were created at the beginning at some point in Genesis chapter 1. Now, again, I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. I wouldn't suggest that that's a matter of faith, that that's a matter of conclusion that you have to draw in order to be pleasing to God. But I don't believe that angels have been around forever. I don't think that the scriptures teach that. And I think Psalm 148 says that all things are created by our God. Well, that brings us to a third question of our four, and that is what do angels look like? And there are all kinds of images as to what they may look like. I even put up there for some baseball fans an image that may be familiar to you. And some of you from Southern California can appreciate the Anaheim Angels uh, making an appearance on the screen tonight. The only time in a sermon I've ever put the Anaheim Angels up there. But we have all these different images. And like I said, some are childlike. Some are a little bit more frightening. Some are very, uh, they, we would almost, you almost want to describe them as angelic kind of beings because of the way that they look and because of the peace that they provide in the imagery associated with them. But it seems to me that when it comes to the subject of what do angels look like, answering the question is sometimes an easier thing to do by addressing what angels do not necessarily look like. And that brings us then to three quick observations. And this is uh, not a conclusive or all-inclusive list, but just a a smattering of of three things. One is this. Angels have never taken on the appearance in recorded scripture as women. Now, of course, God can make an angel appear as a woman or as a man or as anything else anytime he wants. He has the right to do that. But it's not found in scriptures. We try to think of angels in human terms. That's a very natural thing to do. But every time that we have seen angels make an appearance as a human being, they've always been in the appearance of a man. Simply put, angels are not humans. Humans are not angels. We are separate, though we share a lot of characteristics 
which you'll see over the course of the next few months. Secondly, what do angels look like? Not necessarily, and that is winged creatures. Almost always when you see angels, in fact, on on the different uh, uh, images that I had on the screen a few moments ago, we see the idea of wings. Now, it is true that some angels in Scripture have wings. We'll talk more about that just a little bit later in our study tonight, in fact, in the conclusion of our study. But sometimes wing references are within the context of what is highly charged figurative language in the Bible. And when angels do appear in Scripture, when they do make their appearances, it is often without wings. Go back to Genesis 18, Genesis 19, Judges chapter 13. Uh, And you do not have Lot saying, what is that on your back, sir? You do not have Manoah saying, well, you have something coming out of your back. What is that? So these men looked like average men, average human beings. They didn't have the appearance of angels. In fact, Lot and Manoah initially, now Manoah and Mrs. Manoah figured out that this was certainly someone from God, a messenger from God, but they often appear without wings. And that is, uh, brings us to a third observation, and that is, Generally speaking, we not generally speaking, in fact, almost exclusively, we do not see angels with halos. And I hate to disappoint those who love the idea of having the, the halo image over their head. Uh, or when you, when you draw an angel, if you were doing Pictionary, you would probably draw some, uh, somebody with wings and you'd almost indefinitely put a halo around. Well, to burst your bubble, it doesn't seem as if halos are a biblical concept because nowhere is this actually taught in Scripture. Again, when you see the angels making their appearances on those, uh, or, or being referenced on those 300-some occasions in 34 books of the Bible, It looks like average men, and there's nothing about them that would appear, including a halo, that would uh, stress that they are a special messenger from God. There is a passage that may come up from time to time, uh, and we read that just a few weeks ago in our study with David, and that's Revelation chapter 10. And this is where this concept seems to have originated from, but it says... In Revelation 10, verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and notice what it says, a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. Where it says a rainbow was on his head is an historical place where some individuals have pointed to to say that's where we get the the notion of a halo on an angel. Well, What do angels look like? Angels do appear most often in these three ways. They almost always appear. In fact, they always make an appearance as a man or as some sort of a spiritual being. They are typically wearing what's called or what is referred to as white clothing or bright and shining clothing. In short, here's what angels could look like. And this is where we preachers make, make it easy. The pre, uh, when we say an angel could look like anything God wants them to look like. But the idea of the pictures and images, just like we have pictures of Jesus, so-called, we don't know exactly what he looked like. And some who, who, are, who study the culture say he probably doesn't look like what we often portray him to look like. And the same may very well be true with angels. 
So that brings us then to our fourth and our final question, and that will get us into our study, Lord willing, for February. And that is, what are some specific angels, or what do we know about specific angels? Well, let me suggest to you just uh, three or four things here. First of all, there are a few specific types or names of angels as referenced in the Bible. One of those is the archangel. And it seems that this is a chief angel, which is what archangel means. We understand what that means. Somehow involved, particularly in the return of Jesus Christ. If you go back, and we won't take the time to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the passage that talks about that we comfort one another with these words, that we share these words of comfort with one another because the coming of the Lord is a good thing. In fact, if you find references to archangel in the Old Testament, he is actually called the chief prince in the Old Testament, referenced in that particular way. Now, some of you come from a Catholic background or we have friends who are part of the Catholic Church. It is interesting to note that Catholics note that there are actually seven archangels. Of course, there's nowhere in Scripture where that is taught. In fact, the only archangel specifically mentioned is, of course, as good Bible students, Michael, as the only archangel mentioned. I put an asterisk next to that because that doesn't mean necessarily that he's the only archangel. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, but just he's the only recorded one that we have reference to. And that may be helpful if you're ever having a conversation with someone of a different faith who comes from a different perspective. Let me suggest to you that uh, when it comes to Michael, that he is referenced on a couple of different times, uh, particularly in the book of Daniel, and he references Michael three different times. I want to look at those passages just really quickly here in Daniel 10 and in Daniel 12. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, in verse 13, where uh, it is recorded for us, it says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. So if you want to write out to the corner of your Bible a reference to angel without a reference to angel, here's one of those locations. Notice that the angel is helping. He's providing assistance. Something to be said about that, and we'll talk more about that as we explore on the subject. Then in the very last verse of the chapter, it says, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. A page or so over in chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael still stand up, shall stand up, and the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. He shall stand up and will provide assistance. Again, there's this idea of assistance or a message that comes from an angel. It makes perfect sense that an angel is going to deliver assistance or deliver a message of comfort or a message of great importance because, after all, to say that an angel is a messenger is really to say the same thing. It's to say that a messenger is an angel. You're using the same words almost exactly intertwined with one another. It seems that Michael 
is referenced as a defender or a deliverer of God's people in future times. And this is beyond the scope of our study of the prophecies of Daniel, but including going back all the way to Daniel chapter 2 with the great uh, prophecies about the church and about Jesus the Christ in future times and in church times. Which then brings us to the subject of Gabriel, who is another specific angel that you may encounter from time to time. He is also mentioned in the book of Daniel, this time back in chapters 8 and in chapter 9. And we'll just go back and read those verses here very quickly. Um, In chapter 8 and verse 16, it says, I heard a man's voice between the banks and called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And if you drop down to chapter 9 and verse 21, it says, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man, here he's referred to as the man, Gabriel, whom I have seen in, again, a vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. More about flying in just a moment or two as we close out this evening. He is then mentioned only by Luke as the angel of notice. And some have nicknamed him the prophetic angel because of his role. Of course, it was Gabriel who would take on a significant role and being a messenger as an angel in the time of, uh, near the time of the birth of Jesus. What are some specific angels? Let me just close with this, and that is there are two major classes of angels that are referenced in different places in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. So if you go back to the the numbers that I gave you at the outset, 300 references, 34 books. Of course, there are more books in the Old Testament, so it makes more sense. There's more references in the Old Testament. But there are more references in the Old Testament than in the New Testament about angels in general. And there are more references about certain types of angels and a particular type of angel in the Old Testament than in the New Testament, which I think leads us to a very big conclusion, which we'll get into, I think, in June or July. Those two classes are, number one, the cherubim. Now, the word cherubim is actually uh, a plural word. So you don't say cherubims. Uh, That wouldn't make sense. But a cherub is an individual angel. When you're talking about a group of cherub, plural, you talk about cherubim. It's a particular class of angels. And I did not know this until I sat down and studied this at some point. And that is references to the cherubim some 70 times in the Bible. That's a lot to me. That strikes me as being, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize there were that many references. We are not going to go through all of those references. We may look at two or three here real quickly. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, it is only found, these angels are only referenced in the Old Testament. Introduced, remember where? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Again, if you're, if you're just starting into yearly Bible reading and you're starting in books like Genesis or Matthew or whatever the case may be, you've recently read that when God decided that Adam and Eve needed to leave the garden, he removed them from the garden, and then what did he put? He put angels there. What particular angels did he put? He put cherubim there as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. And uh, even as a young boy, that that scene always frightened me about the angels with the swords uh, guarding the the garden. Uh, You cannot come in anymore. What a sad 
state of affairs that may have been, that must have been. Also found in the book of Exodus, and this is just, again, two or three places where it is found. But in Exodus chapter 25, I do want to read verses 18 through 20. It'll be one of the final passages that we read together tonight in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 18. It says, you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. So you recall that the sacred ark, this this box, uh, which was going to contain the certain particular elements to remind the people of how God had provided for them with the law and with manna and with uh, a priest because of the, the budded rod. He says here that the, 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 the mercy seat, the lid, will have hammered work made of the two ends of the mercy seat. Verse 19, make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above covering the mercy seat with their wings and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And most of us have seen pictures whether it be Indiana Jones or whether it be some other uh, Hollywood production of what maybe the mercy seat would have looked like. And it typically has two winged beings looking down, facing down towards, because that would make sense in a sense of awe or in a sense of reverence or in a sense of respect to God and his law. In the book of Ezekiel, it is found extensively. You find cherubim found throughout the book of Ezekiel, littered all throughout that lengthy book. And one of the things that we know about cherubim is that they have four wings. Now, again, we're not talking about literal wings. We're not talking about, we are talking about literal beings here in the sense that we're not talking about literal beings here. And that's, that's a little bit confusing. These are mysterious things. We're not talking about things that we can handle and touch and see but they are associated with the four wings, which is different from, as we sometimes sing, high above the seraphim. And when we sing high above the seraphim, we are talking about being in the heavenly host, being in heaven, or or seeing from a spiritual or heavenly point of view. This is another particular class of angels. And it is not mentioned 70 times in scripture as cherubim is, it is actually mentioned uh, only twice in the Bible and only in you as good Bible students already know that we're going to the book of Isaiah and chapter six. And I do wanna read a couple of verses in Isaiah chapter six as our final passage tonight. Isaiah is an interesting book on a number of different levels, but one of them is because Isaiah actually goes five chapters and then says, now let me introduce you to how I came to this role of being the spokesman for God. And in Isaiah chapter six, it says in verse two, above it, above this uh, great room, the throne, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face, two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And then verse six, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and he says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. The very thing that he was concerned about on that particular occasion. Six wings, each with a likely symbolic meaning beyond the scope of our study tonight. Cherubim and seraphim, 
and might I say angels in general, are highly associated with worship of God. What are angels doing? They are delivering messages from God to Manoah or to Lot or to other individuals. But the primary function, it seems to me, of angels as we explore over the next seven months through August is they worship God. They praise God. They sing to God. They say he is good, he is glorious. And I kind of highlighted this point earlier and will continue to highlight this point as we progress through our study of angels. But there are some striking similarities between angels and human beings. And what I mean by that is the responsibilities that these angels had in being messengers and in being worshipers are strikingly similar to the created beings that we are as humans who are to worship and who are to deliver messages. So I hope that that hasn't frustrated you. I hope this hasn't either confused you or frustrated you in the sense that uh, you are now more confused than you ever were. This is just merely an introduction to the terms, to some of the uh, individual uh, angels that we see. Lord willing, in about four or five weeks, we will look at the roles particularly that they play, one of which is that they are messengers, but angels are more than that. And we worship God just as angels worship God. Now, we don't get to sit around his throne, at least yet. That will come, and that'll be a wonderful experience. But we want to prepare ourselves so that we can be like those heavenly worshipers, and so that one day we can be in heaven forever with our God. And so we are encouraging you and encouraging each of us, whether we are seasoned Christians or whether we have yet to become children of God, to make a commitment or a new commitment in service to our Creator this very night. And so if you are in the category of a seasoned Christian, renew your service to God simply by more reading, more prayer, more thoughts about these angelic beings. Maybe you can make it a a goal in 2022 to spend a little more time reading about angels, finding the passages that talk about them, reading through the book of Ezekiel and studying that and seeing all the different references to angels there. And if we can help you in that study or help you to grow or help you in some particular way in which you need assistance, we welcome that opportunity. If you're in the class of those who have never become Christians and you have yet to name the name of Jesus and call upon his name in salvation and say, I'm ready to be baptized, we welcome that opportunity as well for you to be baptized this very evening. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.